0: Compulsive sexual behavior can be hidden for many years and then suddenly be disclosed or discovered in one devastating revelation or even a string of, you know, kind of slowly disclosed painful discoveries. Other times a couple may get married with the expectation that marriage will reduce one of the spouse's sexual compulsivity only to find out that the sexual acting out behavior continues to reappear. And today we want to give some background on sex addiction, what's behind it, what the impacts are, and how to accurately identify it, especially for those who are concerned that their spouse may be demonstrating sex-addicted behaviors and thoughts.
1: The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to OYF.support. Once again, that website is OYF.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundell from Only You Forever.
0: Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, you have got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have... A tough episode for you this week. It's episode number 248, and today we're going to be talking about sex addiction. Treatment of this challenge is one of the specialties that we offer in our online counseling agency, and we help both addicted persons and their spouses, if they're married, and even family members if necessary.
2: Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed why people seek marriage counselling and what approaches they choose. It's worth going back and checking out. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us.
0: Yeah, and just very quickly, Verlinda, the cruise, we've noticed that in August the pricing was very competitive. Like it was. It really got dropped by the cruise ship. By the, the cruise, cruise line. company
2: themselves, yes. Yeah. And people yeah, people wonder where we get our pricing from. Well the cruise line dictates the pricing. And the month of August is month of July was really good. Month of August was really good. So if people are interested, make sure you reach out. The price on our website, like we can't change it daily as to the cruise line prices, but definitely reach out and we
0: can you know what's going on. Almost always beat that price. Sometimes by a great great deal too. Yeah. And we're glad you're here with us on our show today. If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice. And most of all, we offer hope, even with something very difficult like the topic of sex addiction. Mm -hmm. So I want to begin by pointing out that while we speak out of a Christian worldview, the concept of sex addiction is not a faith-based idea. And in the sense that sexually compulsive behavior is becoming an increasingly recognized phenomenon with a fairly well-defined set of features. Now, there's still some people out there in denial of it, and I'm not going to go there right now. But with this in mind, there are a number of secular researchers and even thousands of therapists from a variety of secular or religious backgrounds who are now specializing in treating the problem of sex addiction. Okay. So we're not going to be preachy today, and that's not a regular feature of our podcast anyways. But when we're talking about sex addiction, we're not talking about a husband or a wife with a high sex drive. I think some people really, um, Mm -hmm. maybe that have been quite an innocent sexual pastor in their background they worry about you know if i really like sex or am i a sex addict right mm, yep so i just want to put that one to rest uh and and uh we'll define what what it is and you'll see that if you stick with us and i think it's good to be educated about this they say that as much as 10 percent of the population could be sex addicted
2: wow okay it's a
0: hidden problem but it's a very real one yep I myself am a certified sex addiction therapist, so I'm very familiar with this topic. I've been working with addicts in recovery for a few years now on this particular challenge. So it's a real problem. It takes a serious amount of courage and commitment to recover from this, but it is possible. And Always hope. Yes. And so we're talking about sexual expression or activity that's excessive or problematic or out of control in either men or women. We're talking about hypersexual behavior or even infrequent, but problematic or destructive sexual behaviors. Things that evidence compulsivity, like just doing it without a lot of thought, or secrecy or continuation despite negative consequences. Now we just want to start wrapping some definitions around this, right? Or what does this look like, right? Okay. That's where I'm going here. And the behaviors are typically destructive or harmful to at least one person, often more the person himself or herself to their spouse. Uh, possibly to the lover or the persons to whom the behavior is directed, maybe to their own families or an employer or to society in some way. Okay. The behaviors may carry consequences that are economic, that are health-related, that are psychological, social, and or relational. So it can affect in different ways. And there's quite a constellation of behaviors that can fall under this issue. Okay. So one of the things that has been worked on in our industry lately is diagnosing sex addiction. Uh, A hypersexual disorder was proposed for the DSM-5, and that's kind of the North American standard for articulating diagnostic criteria for mental disorders. And I'll give you the entry that was proposed here almost sort of verbatim with just a touch of explanation, hopefully not too much. But according to uh, an article that put this forward, individuals with this must persist in the following symptoms for a period of at least six months, and they must occur independent of drug use, a general medical condition, or mania, in order to be diagnosed with hypersexual disorder. So over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual fantasies, sexual urges, and sexual behavior, and the ands and ors in this kind of a document are very particular, okay? Okay. In association with four or more of the following five criteria. One, excessive time is consumed by sexual fantasies and urges and by planning for and engaging in sexual behavior. Two, repetitively engaging in the sexual fantasies, urges, and behavior in response to dysphoric mood states, such as anxiety... Depression, boredom, and irritability. Okay. Three, repeatedly engaging in sexual fantasies, urges, and behavior in response to stressful life events. Four, repetitive but unsuccessful efforts to control or significantly reduce these sexual fantasies, urges, and behavior. Five, repetitively engaging in sexual behavior while disregarding the risk for physical or emotional harm to self or others. Okay. That's the So first. they
2: need four or more of those.
0: Yeah. That's the first set of criteria under point A. Now, point B, there is clinically significant personal distress or impairment in social, occupational, and other important areas of functioning associated with the frequency and intensity of these sexual fantasies, urges, and behavior. In other words, it's impacting your life. Okay. Uh, C, these sexual fantasies, urges, and behavior are not due to direct physiological effects of exogenous substances, e.g. drugs of abuse or medications. A co-occurring general medical condition or the manic episodes. Okay. So they're not evidence of like um, other things that might specifically cause sexual hyperactivity. Okay. D. The person is at least eighteen years of age. So they're just saying this. This is a diagnosis for adults. We don't know what to say about teenagers yet. Okay. Or younger. So. Yeah. So so that's one set of criteria that just kind of, you know, just think through that if you're trying to wonder if your spouse is a sex addict, if you're starting to check a lot of boxes, then it's like, okay, we might be looking at a problem here. There is a sexual addiction screening test, and it's one of the most widely used screening tools. You can Google it. I believe it is available for free online through recoveryzone.com. It's been used in at least eight published peer-reviewed empirical studies. It's routinely used in practice at several inpatient resident treatment centers and by certified sex addiction therapists across the U.S. and other countries. It was developed in 89, has been revised to adjust to heterosexual or female populations. And we use this as a part of, I think that was supposed to say a homosexual. Oh, okay. Um, we use this as part of a larger assessment now called the SDI in our practice, which is a very comprehensive bundle of assessments that form an effective basis for planning the treatment of sexual addiction. Like it looks at attachment mm, okay. and all sorts of different things yep. all together. So it's a great test.
2: So there are tests you can get yep. if you're wondering.
0: Yeah. Now the SDI, okay. which includes the SAST, which is what I just talked about, mm-hmm. is like two and a half hours to complete. It's an absolute beast. Okay. 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 There is a, a test also called the Pathos, and I should say it, it's an assessment called Pathos, and it's just six questions long. It has a couple of studies uh, done already to establish its validity, and I'll just give you these questions to think about as well. If you answer, if your spouse answers yes to three or more of these questions, then it is recommended that you find a certified sex addiction therapist to work with.
2: Okay. Okay. okay.
0: Number one, do you? often find yourself preoccupied with sexual thoughts. Number two, do you hide some of your sexual behavior from others? Number three, have you ever sought help for sexual behavior you did not like? Number four, has anyone been hurt emotionally because of your sexual behavior? Number five, do you feel controlled by your sexual desire? And number six, when you have sex, do you feel depressed afterwards? Okay. Now, you could be a porn, someone who's addicted to porn, and you could answer yes to enough of those questions it, oh, okay. It doesn't make you a sex addict. Oh. Uh, people who treat sex addiction are equipped to treat porn addiction, but porn addiction, in my experience, is often a much less deeply entrenched addiction and easier oh, to work okay, through. So okay. I'm just kind of mentioning that so people realize, yeah, porn is a problem. It's just as devastating to marriages, but you know the recovery may be an easier journey than than this, even though you might answer yes to a few more of those questions. Okay. And as well, this is a self-assessment, right? There's the possibility of false positives or negatives as you're listening to me. So you really do need to engage a qualified clinician to make a formal conclusion that, you know what, we have a problem that we have to face here, problem that we have to face here. And just kind of that porn addict versus sex addict thing, like you could have a 22-year-old guy addicted to porn, maybe viewing porn once a week or even a couple times a week. He could easily answer yes to four or five or six of those questions, okay. but to call him a sex addict would be overstating the problem. A lot of the young porn addicts, like I said, that we work with, they may recover and can maintain sobriety after 10 to 14 counseling sessions, whereas a full-blown sex addict is looking at three to five years of therapy to really establish a robust level of sobriety. Okay. Uh, Really become a whole human being and in their marriage and fully engaged and intimate and connected to their spouse at all levels. Okay. Okay. So once again, we've put together extra material to help you engage with learning and facing these challenges in your life. For this episode, our bonus guide outlines the stages of recovery that partners of sex addicts typically follow. And this helps you normalize your process. And also we've set the document up to give you a chance to reflect on your own journey through each of the stages as well. It is a helpful document, I'd I'd recommend getting it for sure. You can get it by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People, and we'll take a quick 60-second break here to tell you more about that.
1: What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support.
0: You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we're talking about diagnosis and assessment of addiction.
2: Mm-hmm. But okay, so we know, you know what it is and how to be assessed. But why Why do some people become sex addicted?
0: Okay. And that's a great question. Everybody's journey is different, but let's take a moment just to kind of look at some of the roots of the addiction or talk through them. And I think it's very important because this particular addiction has a lot of moral connotations uh, that mm-hmm. come with a lot of stigma yeah. about what kind of a person you are, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's easy to assign those things as labels to really miss the fact that this addiction, like all other addictions, is just another maladaptive coping mechanism. And of course, that's not to minimize the profound impact on yourself as the spouse, when I say just another maladaptive coping, coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. But let me try this. And Verlena, you can rope me in here if you think this is too much of a swing. But in terms of addiction, think about when you're upset. And this is not addiction. But think about when you're upset, you go to the freezer, you get yourself a bowl of ice cream that you don't really need. And you do so without really thinking about how you're going to feel gross. After eating that bowl of ice cream, right? So this is something, if I could say similar, but only on a much, much, much more severe scale.
2: Okay. And
0: it's repetitive, right? Severe Um, in both the impact of the coping mechanism on self, others, finances, a whole slew of things. But also much more severe in the sense that this is just not, it's not just something you do when you're upset. There's much more pain underneath this.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: According to Dr. Stephanie Carnes, a resource from 2016, sex addicts have high levels of shame. They often have physical, emotional, and or sexual abuse in their background. Studies show, and she's reporting this, that 72% of identified sex addicts experienced physical abuse as children. Okay. 81% experienced sexual abuse. That's a staggeringly high percentage.
2: huge.
0: Yeah. 97% experienced emotional abuse. Wow. And I believe that's citing a, a 2007 report by Cox and Howard, where those are coming from. So, Often, even the person in the addiction does not really grasp that their sexually compulsive behavior is an attempt to medicate these Mm -hmm. deeper wounds. They don't Mm -hmm. usually know that at the start. Okay. But when you do start to unpack the story of their life, you really thoroughly assess the history, the addiction actually begins to make sense. Sometimes it's just an attempt to numb pain. Other times it's an attempt to fill an intimacy void. Other times it's a quest for approval. That was never given previously. Other times, very much in response to traumatic abusive wounds from things like sexual molestation or other types of abuse. So okay. people who are sex addicts are made very human by recognizing these deeper issues, right?
2: What do you mean they're made human by recognizing Well,
0: sometimes... Them?
2: You just said that they probably don't recognize them. Or they don't grasp them. When
0: we recognize these deeper issues are underneath, yeah, then it makes them seem much more human to us. Whereas oh, before that, I we see. can kind of write them off or put them in a bucket or call oh, them gotcha. names, right? Okay. And, and their behaviors may be absolutely morally wrong. They may be very destructive. They may be hurtful to themselves, to others. But if a person could sit down with people in recovery like this and really listen to their stories, the addiction does begin to make sense. And I don't say that to justify the addiction, but just to say, why would I judge a sex addict? When you walk in Mm -hmm. their shoes, you see they've they've been through a boatload of pain. Now, they need to face that pain and they need to search for healing, both for their own well-being and their loved ones. The behavior needs to stop, Yeah, right? Still. And it's not justified by the pain. Right. But this information does help you make sense of how they found themselves doing the things they never thought they'd be doing.
2: Okay. Yeah. 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 Like it's still choices that they make. Yes. But who am I to judge?
0: When you When you really why. get to know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's just kind of, hopefully that's enough information just to really give you some thoughts about what's going on here. You know, is my spouse a sex addict? Why might this have been going on? All that kind of stuff. Let's close by talking about the impact on spouses. And this will take us a little bit here, yeah? Okay. Many spouses suffer the symptoms of PTSD, and those symptoms may be exacerbated by repeated relapses mm, as well. Yeah. Maybe he gets busted, he goes clean for a while, does his best. You suspect stuff for a while, and boom, it eventually comes out. Yeah. Spouses who decide to tough it out in a marriage, they really have two primary tasks. One is working on helping themselves heal from the trauma of the sexual betrayal. And two is to play a constructive role in helping their spouse recover from sex addiction. Not an enabling role, but a constructive role. Okay. And often the spouse has been blamed for the addiction in some ways.
2: The, the spouse of the addicted The betrayed person. spouse. The betrayed, okay.
0: They should not be blamed. But it is helpful to look at possibilities of how they might have been enabling the addiction so that the behavior can be changed. The enabling behavior can be changed, right? Okay. Because it's easy to kind of get into some kind of a, almost a rhythm with the thing. And there are several common experiences or feelings that come up for spouses uh, of sex addicts. One is denial. They either knew explicitly that some of the behaviors were occurring, the sexual behaviors, or they were actually involved sometimes in the acting out. That has happened. Okay, Perhaps you allowed the addict to rationalize or to normalize some of the behaviors. Often there's distorted thinking that the spouse was not immune to. That can happen.
2: What does that mean?
0: Well, just the twisting of thinking to justify the addiction enters into the thinking of the spouse so that Somehow they went along with it. Yep. Which is a very difficult thing to realize and admit to. Yeah. Another thing is, 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 it's very common to feel responsible. It's not uncommon for that spouse to feel that they are at least in some way responsible or even the cause of their partner's sexual addiction. They may have thoughts such as, I'm not attractive enough or else he would be just with me. Mm. I'm not understanding enough. I'm not sensitive enough mm-hmm. to his needs. Yeah. Yeah. There may also be the inability to recognize normal behavior. Like after years of lies and deceit and manipulation, the affected spouse may not have any idea what normal behavior is or what to expect from the addict.
2: Oh, just so confused. Like
0: they just seen so much stuff that's crazy. off center, right? And yeah. at this point, they may have rationalized normal things, You know, air quotes around normal, such as the addict having sexually explicit material in the home or staying out late for many unaccounted hours. Like that it,
2: just becomes their norm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, fear is often there. The spouse is hurt, traumatized, confused, maybe fearful of losing the relationship. In an attempt to control, to bring sanity to the situation, the affected spouse might seek approval or pursue uh, sexual compensation themselves, like, for example, by getting plastic surgery as a means to feel good enough for, mm. for earning the attention of the addict. Wow. They may feel a great deal of shame that the addict's behaviors are, are perhaps seen as a direct reflection on their family, as opposed to seeing the addict as a self-willed entity who acted out of his or her own accord mm-hmm. for their own interests, right? Yeah. And there may be some sexual dependency going on too. So they may engage in sex or sexual activities with the addict for fear of abandonment. This in, you know, could include normal sex, even when that's a risk to their personal health. It could also include activities that the spouse feels are degrading or shameful or painful, unpleasant, or goes against their personal moral values. Okay. Right. And finally, it's good to mention too that sometimes you might be experiencing emotional dependency here so that your feelings of worth or happiness are almost like a roller coaster that's dependent on the addict's happiness or recovery. Mm -hmm. So the spouse is happy only if the addict is happy. The spouse is sad, angry, or disappointed reflecting the addict's feelings of sadness, anger, and disappointment about how their recovery is going, for example.
2: Uh, Okay. So you can get tied into
0: that roller coaster as well. So as you can imagine, there's this whole roller coaster of emotions on top of the betrayal trauma that comes from finding out that your spouse has had this double life.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's undoubtedly a huge challenge for spouses as well.
2: And you know what? All this stuff just makes so much sense because you hear people say like the advice they get from people, well, you know, if you had if you had have initiated sex more, oh, he yeah. wouldn't have needed to go elsewhere. Well, no. That's actually not your fault that your spouse went elsewhere. Like Yeah. So you can see why this shame and denial, and you feel responsible. You can see why they're feeling all of these things because society has pushed it on them that it must be their fault.
0: Yeah, that can be that too. But in in the same way, the spouse can also needs to you know step away from even blame casting that and take responsibility for their own healing and setting healthy boundaries. Yeah. And their own learning their own emotional regulation, like how to take care of themselves. Yeah. And to know what's right too.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. So our preferred approach at Only Forever is to look at the situation as a three legged stool. One leg is the addict, one is the spouse, and the other is the marriage. And the ideal situation is, if it's affordable for the couple, is for each of those three legs to see a therapist on a regular basis, their own therapist on a regular basis to oh, begin really? with. Okay. Yeah. With this approach, we've been able to help couples rebuild and recover even from something as devastating as this kind of addiction. Okay. As well, you know, we've scaled it back in other situations and still seen people make good progress. Right. Of course, we work with individuals who are sex addicted, who are single, not yet married as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Okay. So I just invite you to consider uh, how you might uh, take care of all those three things, the spouse, the addict, and the marriage as well. Good. Let's wrap it up.
2: Okay. Well, we'd like to thank David and Shiroz who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. Thank you for your support so much, each and every one of you. Next week, Caleb.
0: We're talking about why church leaders are vulnerable to infidelity and how to defend or protect yourself as a ministry leader oh, in a role like that. It is a, I think it's going to be a really interesting episode.
2: Good. Well, that is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyflink 248. Find out how you can help. Go to oyf.support. Thanks. And we'll see you next week.
1: The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for smart people from only you forever.